Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to uh, talk about the topic of hermeneutics, but specifically the difference between descriptive and prescriptive texts. This word hermeneutics is a Latin word, which means the science and art of biblical interpretation. So in other words, there are rules one must follow when we are attempting to understand what the Bible is saying. This is important because 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us that we ought to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. So instead of just opening up the Bible arbitrarily and putting out, index finger on the text and saying, aha, this is what the scripture is saying. There is a systematic approach uh, versus just this arbitrary way of reading the Bible. If we want to get the full and intended meaning of a particular text, we must have good hermeneutics. There are rules to reading the Bible. So, for example, the first question is uh, of interpretation is not what does the Bible mean to me? The question that must be asked first is what was the intended meaning by the author to the original audience? That's the first question that must be asked. What was the intended meaning of the author to the original audience. And once you're able to uh, find out what the original meaning is, then you ought to be able to uh, find the universal principle that applies to all believers. Some things are culture based and it's not binding upon modern day Christianity but there are universal principles that we all are to follow, whether it's in the old Testament or new Testament. So as we read the text, these, this is the first question we must ask ourselves, not what does it mean to me, but what was the original meaning from the author to the intended audience? So when attempting to decipher this original meaning, We must uh, consider a few things. Consider the language. Consider the cultural dynamics or idioms. Consider the location. Where is the event taking place? Consider the titles. Rabbi, what does that mean? Disciple, what does that mean? Deacon, what what does that mean? Cupbearer, what does that mean? So, These titles are placed in the Bible because the people of the 
uh, that are part of the specific events, they grew up in a particular culture that we're not or may not be familiar with. Consider the worldviews. When Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, they're having a theological discourse. So her worldview is Jews have no, um, should not be talking to a Samaritan, especially a woman. That, that was her worldview, that Jews and Samaritans really didn't have much to talk about. Uh, they normally didn't spend too much time uh, talking to one another. But Jesus came to break that stereotypical paradigm, that worldview. Consider the social conflicts. Why is it that even though they seem to be on the same side, the Pharisees and Sadducees still didn't see eye to eye on everything, especially dealing with uh, the resurrection? Consider the eschatological perspectives. Uh, the coming of the anointed one, the coming of the Messiah. The Bible talks about how some people would not embrace Jesus because of their eschatological perspective. Consider the topology, uh, the landscape. Where, where is this event taking place? Why is this location important? Now, remember, God said he will be uh with Israel as they were going into the promised land, the land filled with milk and honey. Where is it? These things must be considered when reading the Bible. Consider the race issue. What is going on in those communities? Who came from what lineage? Why is it that some of the Israelites had problems with Moses when he married outside of his race? Then consider Things like the wisdom literature, the Proverbs, the short, pithy sayings. Consider these things as you're reading the Bible. So there are rules of reading the Bible. If you want to get God's intended meaning. Then lastly, uh, consider the context, context, context. It's not wise to just, again, go to the scriptures pull out what you want without considering the text before or afterwards. But more importantly, not just the chapters and the verses, but consider the entire book. What is the theme of the book? And in understanding the overall, the overarching theme of the book, you can then find out what the, how the chapters are connected. And then if you're looking at, uh, let's say the book, of Ezra or the book of Nehemiah uh, in some collections those are the same unit meaning that those two books can be found together as one book so it's important that as we continue to become better Bible students that we learn the rules of interpretation and that's what hermeneutics conveys again once we find out the original, original message, we should then discern if the text is descriptive or prescriptive. So you may be asking yourself, what do you mean by descriptive versus prescriptive? Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question. When we say descriptive, we're talking about those passages that describe a one-time event. This means... Uh, the act 
or commandment given in that passage was not intended to be duplicated, but rather identified as a narrative. Now, these types of texts are told to uh, simply describe an event that happened once in history and was not intended to be duplicated by others. These events were done by God, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly through other people to um, show to those that were in attendance that he was God. In addition, there are some commandments that fall under uh, this descriptive category that we may be aware of. So, for example, Moses, parting of the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 21 through 22, a one-time occurrence, but yet God did it again in a different body of water through Joshua, through the parting of the Jordan River, Joshua chapters 3 and 4. So those are similar occurrences that God, based on his prerogative, decided to do. Now, reason why I point this out is you may have someone who's very earnest, very sincere, has a lot of zeal, and they may read this passage and say, you know, if I go today to uh, the Jordan River, and because I know God and because I pray to God and because I've accepted Christ as my Savior, then I should be able to part the Jordan River just like Moses. Well, that is an incorrect interpretation uh, based on the rules of hermeneutics. This story with Moses and God using him to part the Red Sea is a descriptive text. And if you notice, God also parts the Jordan River for Joshua. But we never see anyone else parting the Red Sea. And we never see anyone else uh, parting the Jordan River. And it's really not up to the individuals. Moses was a conduit. Joshua was a conduit. Let me put it in biblical terms. Moses was a vessel. Joshua was a vessel used by God to perform these miracles. And God chose to perform that specific miracle in order to get the attention of that particular audience. Another descriptive text, Elijah raises the widow's son. First Kings 17, 7 through 24, 17 through 24. God performed these miracles to authenticate his message and his messenger. So this means that it's up to God um, how he wants to perform these miracles or um, how he wants to work directly in nature or through people. And most of these uh, occurrences uh, under descriptive text, it's not meant to be duplicated. It's just meant to describe. So it's descriptive. It's, simply intended to describe an event that happened in a passage. It does not mean that you are to uh, uh, say to yourself, because this person did it, then I should be able to do it. Not necessarily. We must look at the context to see what's descriptive versus what's prescriptive. And by prescriptive, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But 
descriptive means that it's an event that happened one time and it's not intended to be duplicated. When we look at Acts 19, 11 through 12, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Acts 19, 11 through 12. So one can look at this passage, but yet erroneously assume that this passage is suggesting that all Christians are able to heal others with a handkerchief. We know this is not the case because of the following. We must first know the general theme of the book of Acts. So in other words, what is the overall message of the composition? In relation to the book of Acts, the theme is, and this is the overarching theme for the book of Acts, and for each book there is an overarching arching theme meaning it is the main theme of the book this is why the writer wrote it so the for the book of acts the theme is jesus the risen glorified lord over all his church and for a subtitle you can even put uh the power of the holy spirit as he moved through the lives of the apostles so the overarching theme for the book of acts is jesus the risen glorified lord over all his church. The miracles performed by these apostles, they were extraordinary and initiated by God for the first century Christians. So again, God is setting up his church in the first century. We must remember that God does not perform miracles for entertainment. Miracles are performed by God himself at times through uh, human history for two reasons. A, to confirm his message. B, to confirm the messenger. Number one, to confirm his message. Two, to confirm the messenger. God is not performing miracles arbitrarily. Miracles are done only for the two reasons that I mentioned earlier. In Acts 19, this is the reason for the supernatural act. It's the main reason not for entertainment. Uh, it's God's purpose to confirm his message as well as his messenger. Man does not initiate miracles. It is the prerogative of God to perform miracles when he wants to, not when we want him to do it. Paul was only able to heal with the handkerchief because that is what God wanted to do at that time. For the sake of those that were around them, God knows exactly what is needed to get the attention of each human being. And what may get my attention may not get your attention. So God knows exactly what miracles to perform if he's going to perform any at all. God knew that that particular miracle would get the attention of those that were eyewitnesses. Luke, the writer of Acts. He wanted to capture the consistency of God moving by the way of the Holy Spirit. The same God that performed miracles through Jesus was doing the same thing through the apostles. That's the consistency. The same God was authenticating the apostles. The same God uh, through Jesus, with Jesus, that worked 
uh, in the ministry of Jesus kingdom agenda, the same God was with these apostles. This is what Christ was talking about when he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my father, John 14, 12 through 14. So Jesus was basically saying, you will see greater things, not in terms of importance, but quantity. In other words, God is going to do more supernatural things or acts because there will be more disciples. This prophecy was fulfilled in the first century as evidenced by the stories depicted in the book of Acts. Many of the miracles reported in Acts were for a one-time purpose based on the specific situation. In addition, the scriptures do not tell us that God promises to administer the same miracles through all Christians today. Many of those uh, events or many of those miracles were intended for a one-time purpose. I'm not saying that miracles do not exist because I believe in miracles, but I believe that it's God initiated, not up to humanity to request or to uh, infer that it comes from them. Number two, if Acts 19 is to be interpreted for qualified saints, having the ability to heal with handkerchiefs, then it would be prescriptive. Prescriptive meaning that it happens all the time for those, for those believers who meet a certain criteria. For example, having genuine faith and being closer to God than other people. However, this is not the case. The apostle Paul, who was chosen by God and healed others with a handkerchief, didn't even heal his friend Trophimus. So that's how we know that physical healing is not uh, something afforded to all believers. Paul, who could heal people with his handkerchief or God rather healing people through Paul with his handkerchief, even he, when it came to Trophimus, his friend, left him sick. So if it was intended for all people to be physically healed, then Paul surely would have healed his friend Trophimus. But that's not the case. He left them sick. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul states that he left his friend Trophimus sick. This is the same Paul who had the gift of healing. This text proves that healing is not up to Paul, but it was up to God. God decides who or when to heal. Healing is rooted in God's prerogative. We do not find any verse in the Bible that states God will heal everyone physically. Moreover, we do not find any scripture that states it is God that that God will duplicate this unique one time event of healing uh, in terms of healing with handkerchiefs. But yet we find uh, we find through history, many uh, leaders, many teachers who uh, have sold handkerchiefs uh, saying that it would heal other people. And it is the wrong way to interpret this event.
This was a descriptive event, not prescriptive. How do we know if a text is descriptive and not prescriptive? Again, descriptive text, as I mentioned earlier, it's a record of of a one-time occurrence or one-time event or an event that was culturally based, meaning that just for that culture, that event was significant or that event took place. This means the text is providing information for our historic edification, not for Christians to still try to emulate or duplicate what is in the text. That is a descriptive text and it's not intended to be prescriptive. Another good example of a descriptive text is 1 Corinthians 11 verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me and everything for holding to the traditions just as I pass them unto you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or head shaved, then she, then she should cover her head. Unfortunately, uh, we are running out of time and we will continue part two of hermeneutics, uh, descriptive versus prescriptive. So please keep in mind that there are Uh, There is such a thing as the descriptive texts, which are intended to describe a one-time event or culture-based event, which is not binding upon all Christians today. So please, as you read your Bible, as you study your Bible, practice hermeneutics, the science and art of biblical interpretation. And we will continue, God willing, on our next episode on part two of hermeneutics, descriptive versus prescriptive. And if you're listening to us today, uh, we need your support. Uh, Please consider becoming a financial partner. You can donate through our website, www.aycce.org, or you can mail a check uh, made out to ACE, A-Y-C-E, to P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, California, 95758. And please continue to stand on sound biblical teachings and do for the truth what so many people are doing for the lies. Stand up for Christ and we'll see you again. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. 
Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.